think of the 2016 and 2017 Stanley Cup championships, do you think of offense first? Or do you think about all that defending that they did? Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also cover those sports, and I offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in turn. Two Stanley Cup games last night, both of the Canadian teams prevailing. The Maple Leafs staving off, temporarily I might add, elimination by beating the Panthers 2-1. to one. And then the Oilers evening up their series with the Golden Knights by winning 4-1. to one. And I'm moved this morning after those games to remind everyone that the deeper any series goes, the more you see teams focusing on defending. And if you can see the Toronto Maple Leafs of all teams defending, and you can see all of their very fast, very high-flying type of forwards, just like that, getting committed to defending, then I think that should serve to remind pretty much the entire hockey universe that it's still number one. Come playoff time. It was for the Penguins' last two championship teams. Yeah, I know. The 2016 team was super hyper crazy fast, and they ran up shot totals like nobody's business. They were an outlier at the time, and because they were such an outlier at the time, they really haven't even been successfully replicated. No one, no one in the league, to my mind, has matched what the Penguins did that season in terms of just generating Shot attempts, boom, 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 boom. From the first line, even down to the fourth, Matt Cullen and Eric Fair and those guys. And yes, possession and shot attempts are part of defending. They're not going to score on you if you've got the puck in their end. But as time wore on and as injuries accumulated, especially in the 2017 run, everybody all of a sudden remembered what mattered. And even that group had to buckle down especially once Chris Letang went down. So watching the Leafs last night and watching uh, someone who's really just been a headless chicken for the better part of his career when it comes to 200-foot play and Mitch Marner, grossly, grossly overpaid, classic Toronto scenario there where they make somebody a superstar. But Marner was defensively sound. William Nylander's been defensively sound through the whole series. Actually, Nylander's been like maybe their most impressive overall guy. And then there's Ryan O'Reilly, who I think was the Blues' dominant force in winning the Cup a couple of years ago. O'Reilly's out there in all the tough situations, doing all the tough things, doing all those very non-Maple Leafs-looking tasks to ensure that, you know, your team protects the lead that it's already built. He, I thought in the third period, was the difference. What does any of this have to do with the current Penguins, you're asking? Here's what I have to say on this subject. We talk, you and I, a lot about this team being, repeat after me, old and slow, old and slow. Well, this team's greatest shortcoming, number one, this past season was that they didn't know how to slow it down. Yes, 
having speed helps in defending. The guys that I just mentioned to you from the Toronto lineup were wonderful in that regard. And in fact, part of the reason the Leafs were able to defend as well as they were was because they were cycling effectively and in a disciplined, lots of support type of mode in the Florida zone. Wonderful. But they also, in their own end, gave the Panthers next to nothing. Partly because they're fast, but partly because they had just enough guys who knew how to slow things down. In stark contrast, what did you see from your favorite hockey team this past season when they had a lead? Any lead. Any period. Anywhere. Yeah, they were a nightmare. They were unlike any Pittsburgh team we've seen, wow, 30 or 40 years in that regard. For those of you who go way, way, way back with me, you know, help me out here. Because not even the, you know, the the Rico Fata, Dick Tarnstrom years that everybody likes to bring up without even thinking about it. Those teams didn't do that. When they had a lead, which they almost never did, they would protect it. Okay, because they played really, really hard. But for me, you've got to go back to pre-Mario. You've got to go back to the 83-84 team that ended up clinching the rights to draft Mario, 16-58 and 16. Those guys couldn't defend anything. For the most part, they didn't want to either. That's, That's my only comparable for what we just saw. And I feel like it needs to be remembered that one of the things that this team is missing, whenever I talk about third and fourth liners, I'll usually just throw it away by saying, just get a bunch of gritty guys and grinders and whatever else here. And I don't get into details as to what that means. I'll remind you that around trade deadline time, actually a little bit before that, before Kyle Dubas of the Maple Leafs, possibly Pittsburgh's next GM, made what I thought was the best acquisition of the deadline stretch by acquiring O'Reilly from St. Louis. He was the guy. Ron Hextall should have been chasing and giving up, you know, a second round pick and $5 million over the next two years instead of Mikhail Granlund, who wasn't needed, even if he was the good version of Granlund. O'Reilly would have been that guy you could count upon to take the defensive zone draws. Either circle, by the way, if you were watching him again last night, of taking control of the rink. All 200 by 85. And of course, being a very, very real force still in the offensive zone. That's that's the guy that you go for. That's the guy that allows you to stick Jeff Carter in the press box. That's the guy that allows you, if you're Mike Sullivan, to legitimately shorten your bench, not to just do it for effect. That's the guy, as long as I'm at it, who, if you're Hextall and Brian Burke, saves your job. Saves your job in all likelihood. How it is that the selfish stuff never seems to penetrate a lot of these guys' minds, I don't know. But that saves your job. Because all of a sudden, your hockey team would make sense. And what's it to you if the franchise has a first-rounder? two years from now or whatever. Give the Blues whatever it was that they wanted, get your guy, and save your job. Because that guy could slow it down. That guy can make the game happen at his tempo. 
And the Penguins remain very much in need of that guy. When we come back, J1Q. It's a good one. He asks, do the Penguins already have the fix to this problem that they have in Jeff Carter? I know, I can hear you groaning and probably rolling your eyes, but hear me out. He has a big frame, isn't afraid to go to the net, get physical, and he seems to score a lot of his goals fairly close to the net already. Of course, we're stuck with his contract for another year, no matter what. Sully seemed to be grasping for any role to justify giving him a sweater every game. What if he wins faceoffs to set up the power play and then causes hell in front of the net? Could make his contract a little easier to stomach. William, I have seen Carter's work on the power play. He was on the second unit all season long. That never changed, no matter what kind of drought he was in, no matter what kind of drought the power play was in. So the head coach is already aware of what you're describing. The head coach is already aware of what he could theoretically get from Carter in such a situation. But if you're advocating, and I think you are, because I brought up earlier in the week that power play one needs to have some kind of, you know, Patrick Hornquist, Joe Pavelski type, and I don't mean to make it sound like they grow on trees, but just someone in that mold. This is not the player for so many reasons. And I'll play along anyway, okay? Yes, his face-offs would be wonderful. If you're starting the power play in the attacking zone, which most often you are, that's where the first draw tends to be, you do want to win it. You've also got Sidney Crosby doing that, and Sid's pretty good at it as well. Another thing that you want slash need on power play one is someone who can move the puck with these guys. Uh, Let's not paint Hornquist ever in a role uh, or in a vision that was he was some sort of one-dimensional freak. Hornquist could do a little bit of everything. Hornquist would score on the rush every once in a while. You remember these? Hornquist would come blazing down the right wing and take one of those wrist shots that would just scream over a goalie's shoulder, and you'd be like, where the heck did he get that? He also was very good at puck retrieval. He also was very good at finding a way to pass the puck through to the people who needed it and then getting to the net. I have not seen that from Carter. I don't see Carter even really engaging with the puck all that much anymore. And the other thing that you want from your net front guy, and this is why I brought up Pavelski, you do want to see the tips and the redirects. When you watch these playoffs right now, look how many of these goals are being scored just like that. Tips, redirects, uh, rebounds, just plain old screens, innocent looking flicks from the point that just float through. That's what NHL offense looks like right now at the highest level. It's not always some gorgeous sequence. It's not always, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on a two-on-one. It tends to look like like a bunch of bodies and a bunch of pucks just going through to the net, and then something gets through and everybody goes, yay, that's it. That's, That's largely it. Of course, the Penguins don't have nearly enough of that. 
and they especially don't have it on the power play, and they will not be getting it from Jeff Carter at this age. I appreciate the question. I appreciate the thought process. I appreciate everybody who's listening to Daily Shot of Penguins on a regular basis. We will do another one of these tomorrow. 